Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm here in the land of the rat. Well, Mickey, Orlando, Florida. Glad to be with you live in studio at WDBO. I gotta. By the way, I'm I'm going to hijack my own show real quick. This is this is important for everyone here to understand. So I'm here at WDBO now. I happen to broadcast my flagship station is WSB Radio in Atlanta, which is like the, the big daddy station of the Cox Media Group for talk stations. And when I come to WDBO or I go to WOKV in Jacksonville, it's like I'm walking into the Starship Enterprise. And when I walk into WSB in Atlanta, it's like I can tell this was Clark Howard's headquarters because everything looks hand-me-down and secondhand. It's like, how is this place so much? Except, except, Mr. Babman, if you're listening, God bless you, sir. We love you, sir. We love you. We, 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 we do sacrifices in your honor, sir. We love you. Except when I walk into this building, this is Orlando, Florida. You get, what, 20 inches of rain a year? And to get into this building, it's like a U-shape. And you have to d go through like the both sides all the way to the back with the rain pouring off both sides of the building onto you to get to the front door of the building, which is as far back as possible. I don't know who did this, but I assume it's someone with security who had ideas of like snipers on the building as people walked to the front door. They could take it. It's the, the craziest thing. I've never understood the architecture of this place. But then you get inside and it's like, oh, that's why my microphone is 30 years old. They've got like inflatable bowling balls in this place. I, okay, I digress. I must move on. I am in Florida, and I want to tell you guys something's happening here that affects all of us. I don't care where you are. This is like actual serious moment. For the first time in 30 years, Republicans are outpacing Democrats in Miami-Dade County. Uh, for the early vote, this is actually pretty substantial. And the reason why is because to get a majority Republican turnout in Miami-Dade County, you have to have non-Cuban Hispanic voters also voting Republican. The data says that that is happening, but this is kind of a real-world effect that we're seeing this. The Democrats simply aren't turning out. And this is the problem for Democrats around the country right now, with the possible exception of Pennsylvania. Now, I, I want to spend a little bit of time on this and break it down for you because there are some caveats here, and I need to start with the big one. You cannot, you cannot take early voting data and say what is going to happen in the election because I can tell you the proportion of Republicans, independents, and Democrats who are casting early ballots, but I can't tell you who they are voting for. And if the trend lines are to be believed, there's a substantial portion of moderate Democrats who are voting Republican this year. So I can't tell you. So I look at a place like Pennsylvania, where if I was a Republican who was running in Pennsylvania, I would be concerned about the early voting because the early voting in Pennsylvania does show towards the end there's been a Democrat surge. The problem for the Democrats, though, is there's also been a corresponding surge in the polling for Dr. Oz, which suggests if the Republicans do turn out on Election Day in Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz is going to win pretty significantly. Now, all of this is to say something else, and I need you to bear with me here. For those of you who are new to the program, let me give you a little bit of background here. 
I started in politics as a student in 1994, started the College Republicans, my alma mater, Mercy University, became the state chairman of the College Republicans, started running political campaigns, volunteering on political campaigns, worked for members of Congress, eventually became a campaign consultant, would fly around the country. I ran congressional races, state races, local races. I was a lawyer for President Bush's campaign in 2004. That's when I discovered it's called Creep. And like has always been called creep. Did you guys know this committee to reelect the president creep? That's what everyone refers to it as creep. It's a little creepy nonetheless, particularly, you know, when Bill Clinton had creep in 19, I gave it a whole nother level when it was creep then. But nonetheless, I, I've done this stuff for years. I was a lawyer. I was an elections lawyer. I did campaign finance law. I helped rewrite the laws in Georgia for elections in 2000 when they were switching to electronic voting. I've been in politics for a while. And I just, I got to step back for a minute and say that there is this conversation that always happens in years where it's going to be bad for Democrats. I, I started on TV at the end of 2009, headed into the 2010 campaign cycle. Before I was on radio, I was on TV. And I was the Republican at CNN, the conservative at CNN, the only conservative at CNN. There were Republicans, but I mean, my gosh. I actually was being wooed by Fox News at the same time. Sean Hannity found out that uh, CNN was looking at me. I called my friend Rush Limbaugh and said, what should I do? He says, you got to go to CNN. I was like, are you kidding me? He's like, listen, at Fox, you'll be taken care of and well-paid, but you'll never be challenged. At CNN, you'll learn how to do better by being challenged by everything. I mean, nine out of ten things they were trying to kill you. And it was great. I, I got to learn how to be friends with people who disagreed with me. And I also got to be there in 2010 where people were crying. So in 2004, when I started Red State, I got asked by MSNBC, and this is before they went off the deep end. And I got to see the media behind the scenes for the first time. I was young, uh, just out of law school, got flown up to New York by MSNBC to be a blogger for them to cover the election. This is the rise of blogs. They had three, like, really, really partisan progressive Democrats, and they had me. And I met Pat Buchanan. It was so fun. I met Pat Buchanan and introduced myself, and he says, did they know you were a conservative? And I said, they did. He says, I bet you're the only one. And I said, yes, sir, I am. Literally, I'm not kidding you. One of the guys was so partisan progressive, he only bathed once a week to conserve water. And he smelled like stinky cheese. So I've seen these things for a while. And I remember in 2004 when Bush won, literally people in the newsroom, men and women, started crying. I, I didn't see that again until 2016 when Trump won. Um, I mean, the, the meltdown there. And I was like, my gosh, it's true. These people really are liberal behind the scenes. And I picked up on something that was happening. When a wave comes for the Democrats, when the big red wave comes, the media tries to console the Democrats the entire way until the last week of the election. Maybe it's not going to be that bad. Yeah, there's some hope here. You know, it's within the margin. All these races are within the margin of error. Republicans could win big, but they could also lose big. They're only a point in the margin of error. It's possible. Calm down. And then Democrats have the wave sweep over. They're like, oh, my gosh, there's voter suppression. It had to be voter suppression. I mean, they become election denialists, the very people the media says we shouldn't do anything or shouldn't have anything to do with. When a Republican wave comes, the media does everything possible to assure the Democrats it's not going to be that bad until the last four days of the election. Like, oh my gosh, people, pour the kerosene on yourself, get the matches ready, it's coming. 
when a when a democratic wave comes, when the big blue wave comes across the country, the media does no consoling. They do no group therapy. The entire time through, ah, Republicans, you know, history's against you. History's against you. It's always been against you. It was never going to change. Yes, you had some hope for a little while in the polling, but it was always going to be bad. This is what we're seeing this time with history. The party that is the incumbent in the White House does poorly in midterms. When the party that is the incumbent in the White House loses not just the Virginia governor's mansion, but also the Virginia House of Delegates in the year before the midterm, it's going to be brutal for that party. Guess what happened in 2021? The only thing that has changed is abortion and Dobbs. And the Democrats look at this issue in in Kansas and the way the abortion referendum went in Kansas, and they forget all the corresponding data that even a lot of pro-lifers in Kansas were confused. Even a lot of pro-lifers in Kansas voted against it. Even a lot of people in Kansas, they didn't understand the wording of the question. It sounded like they were going to actually... Uh, put abortion into the Constitution in Kansas the way it was written. And so a large number of conservative pro-lifers in Kansas voted against their own pro-life amendment. They totally ignored that aspect of it. They totally ignored that angle of it. And ever since, they've been tantalizing, dangling this hope for the Democrats that abortion could save you, abortion could save you. And then the polling shifted to the Democrats. Now, my buddy Chris Wilson was with me the other day. And he says it's not really true anymore that the Republicans don't answer the phones in in August, September. But there is always this shift in August and September for a variety of reasons. There's always a historic shift to the Democrats. And the Democrats know this. The media knows. There's always, always, always this polling shift in August, September to the Democrats. And they played it up this time in ways they've never played it up before. Oh, my gosh, we're safe. We're safe. I mean, you had 538, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC all saying, you know, no, there's actually a chance now the Democrats might save the House of Representatives by a few seats. It looks like the Senate is safe. Except it was never so. Because the ebbs and flows of history always flow. You can't stop the currents of history. Karl Rove tried to build a permanent Republican majority. He modeled it after William McKinley and Theodore Roosevelt's uh, political guy, Mark, what's his name? Uh, Mark Hanna, I think his name was. And he tried to build a permanent firewall that would turn America permanently red. How's that permanent Republican majority working for you, Carl? The Democrats try the same thing. There's an ebb and a flow of history. Sometimes our side's up. Sometimes our side's down. Sometimes their side's up. Sometimes their side's down. The only other ebb and flow of history that exists is that the media tries to tell the Democrats when it's their time to be down that it's not really true. And that's why they give license to the Democrats to say it's voter suppression. It's why they give license to the Democrats to say uh, that that the election was stolen. They never do that to Republicans because Republicans are always supposed to be down because the media is part of the Democratic Party. The Republicans are always supposed to be the minor party, and yet now they're surging. In a time of demography is destiny, Republicans are winning half the Hispanic vote in the country. Why? Because there's no such thing as permanence in political majorities. There's no such thing as permanence in American politics. And the Democrats, in a bubble with the media, have forgotten their history lessons because you don't need to know your history when everything is new and shiny every single day. When you believe epistemically that the arc of history bends towards you, you don't care what the history arc actually says, which is doom is coming for you people next week. You don't have to know that. 
Doesn't mean doom's not coming, though. In Florida, Republicans for the first time in 30 years have outvoted Democrats in Miami-Dade County. The Republican turnout in Florida has been dominant everywhere for weeks. In Nevada, guess what? The Democratic firewall has collapsed. They had a 15-point advantage, then they had a 9-point advantage, then they had an 8-point advantage, then they had a 1.5 percentage point advantage. Today, they don't have an advantage in Nevada. The Democrats in Nevada are ringing the alarm. Something bad is coming in Nevada. A week ago, John Ralston, who's like the expert in Nevada politics, went on Joy Reid show on MSNBC and said, we don't see a red wave in Nevada. Today, he's like, oh, blankety-blank. In Arizona today... CNN is running a story. The Democrats are afraid Blake Masters can win this thing. In Georgia, I've been in the minority for the last several weeks saying Herschel Walker was going to win without a runoff. It is now set wisdom for Republicans in Georgia. Herschel Walker is going to win this thing on Tuesday without a runoff. Why? Because we can't tell you who the voters are voting for when they vote. We can't tell you. We can't. But what we can tell you is that Republicans are surging in ways they haven't. Democrats aren't turning out as they have. And the polling suggests Republicans are winning half the Hispanic vote in this country. And who are they classified as? Democrats. And Republicans are winning a third of the black male vote under 50 in this country. Who are they classified as? Democrats. And so if Democrats are voting, and these are the Democrats who are voting, the Democrats have a worse problem than we thought. And all the media can tell you is that, well, yeah, it looks like the Republicans are on the verge of a wave, but it's within the margin of error. The polling has never gotten the final number right, and the polling has been so biased against the GOP lately. The odds are not that they overcorrected now and the polling is overbiased on the GOP. The problem is that they probably never fixed the bias to begin with. And the Republicans are going to do well. And if you do not believe me, if you're a Democrat listening to the media, thinking, you know, maybe things won't go as bad as we thought it was going to go, history is not on your side. Americans for Prosperity plays to win. That matters a lot to me. I know a lot of D.C.-based organizations that just want to pass paper around to other Beltway insiders or claim they speak for everyday Americans without ever having to leave Washington, D.C. Americans for Prosperity is different. They're not a think tank. They're grassroots do-tank. Americans for Prosperity is a one-of-a-kind, freedom-oriented, limited government advocacy and accountability organization that actually takes action to expand opportunity for all Americans and defend your freedom of speech. They're doing great work at all levels of government. What's their secret? Well, they don't really rely on Washington. They've built a network of concerned citizens who are stepping up for freedom in communities all around the country. If you want to learn more, if you want to find out how to get involved with Americans for Prosperity with a chapter near you, and I assure you, they have a chapter near you, check them out at americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. That's americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. The question I get asked most in America today is, what will Republicans actually do if they take back Congress? Jonathan Swan, who has the greatest voice in all of the American political press, he's Australian, works for Axios. I'm just going to play this audio. Let him talk. And the other thing that I think people are going to see if the Republicans take a majority is it'll cast into really bright light um, the new Republican Party. And... And what I mean by that is not all the obvious things that people have seen with Donald Trump, you know, um, protectionist on trade, 
inching towards isolationism on foreign policy. I'm talking about the attitude towards corporate America. There's been a really fundamental shift in the party. It's not secret. Kevin McCarthy has told me on the record that if he's the speaker, he will not take a meeting with the head of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And just, just like think about that for a second. This is the <laughs> the leading representative, oh yeah. the, the the lobby group for for corporate America cannot get a meeting. Will not be able to get a meeting with Kevin McCarthy. We broke a story the other night saying he's requesting that they replace their entire leadership team. And. The view of House Republicans is basically, again, this is not my point of view, I'm trying to channel to you what yes. I hear when I talk to them every day, is we protected you guys for years in corporate America. We cut your taxes, we lightened your reg regulation, we fought the trial lawyers, and you turned around and on every issue of cultural salience you sided with Democrats, whether it be the environment, voting rights, you know, go down the list, immigration, whatever. And so their view is, you know, middle finger, basically. We're, we're, not only are we not going to protect you anymore, we're going to actively look for opportunities to harm you. And the Ron DeSantis playbook in Florida with Disney, that's mm. not some aberration. That is a beacon, a bright beacon for Republicans of what they want to do on the Hill. And to be clear, there's not much they can do substantively. Biden's in the White House. But the oversight is just going to be a star chamber. I mean, you're going to have people yeah. like Larry Fink from BlackRock hauled in, hand on the Bible, you know, ripping him to pieces over his support for ESG. I mean, you're just going to see really aggressive and antagonistic and hostile oversight um, towards the business community. So those are some of the things I'm watching. But, um, yeah. you know, there's a lot more to good. That's what we need. The Republicans have been in bed with the Chamber of Commerce for too long, and the Chamber of Commerce does not represent Main Street. It represents Wall Street. And Republican voters are the voters of the small businesses on Main Street, not Wall Street. The Wall Street voters vote for the Democrats because the Democrats say they're going to raise their taxes and then carve out loopholes so they don't actually pay the taxes. You and I do. We are on to the game. The Republicans are on to the game. The Chamber of Commerce has always been an organization that has been hostile to conservative values. They've been pushing the woke agenda now for for Kevin McCarthy, I'm surprised the man took a firm stand because the man's more like silly putty than, than iron, and he's actually taken a stand against the Chamber of Commerce, which is a good thing. I've been a regular, reliable critic of the Chamber of Commerce for a very long time because the Chamber of Commerce in Washington is not the Chamber of Commerce of your city. It's not even the Chamber of Commerce of your state. It's the Chamber of Commerce of Wall Street. And what's good for Wall Street is not necessarily, in all cases, good for Main Street. Oftentimes, they're competing against Main Street. They want the big, Main Street small. The holidays are the most exciting time of year, and if you want to enjoy them to the fullest, you need to get the best night's sleep every single night, particularly before your kids wake you up early during the holidays. My goodness gracious, it's easier than it sounds, though. You need the softest, most luxurious organic cotton sheets from Bull & Branch. Their sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on earth. They make a difference. You can truly feel night after night. Forget the script that they gave me to read. Y'all, let me just tell you, Bowling Branch, 
I sleep on their sheets and they get softer every single time I wash them. They are so soft at this point. Like they start out and they're fine. They're good sheets. You can tell they've got a nice weight to them. They've got a good thread count. The quality of the fabric is, is very nice. But the more you wash them, the more you realize how good they are because they get softer, but they don't fray. That makes a real difference. I can tell you, I sleep on Bowling Branch sheets. I bought them myself even. They didn't send them to me as an advertiser. I actually bought them. We've been buying them for a while. They're towels and other things as well. But their signature sheets, they come wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box for you. Your gifts are going to look great. You can give these sheets to people you love. Bring home a better night's sleep. This holiday season with Bolin Branch Bedding for a limited time, 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D branch.com, promo code ERIC, bowlandbranch.com. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Across the nation, the phone number, 877-973-7425. Now, interestingly enough, when I look at the early voting turnout in Georgia, some of the highest performing counties, uh, Green County, I've got an affiliate there, Morgan and Putnam County, Jasper County, they're turning out massively. Uh, I suspect one of the people they're turning out for is a hometown favorite who's joining me on radio. Uh, you would, you've probably heard his name because MSNBC screams about him. Uh, pretty much on a daily basis now, Joy Reid is like in the fetal position crying about the next lieutenant governor in the state of Georgia who is joining me, Burt Jones. How are you? Hi, Eric. How you doing today? Hadn't Great. talked to you in a while. I, I, I got to tell you, it, it literally is. I don't know if you know this is happening, but like on a daily basis, Joy Reid cries about you. Um, it, it's just the, <laughs> the, the, the media is like they, they painted you as some sort of an election denier, uh, which you're not. Uh, they, they've attacked you nationally. You're running for lieutenant governor in Georgia. You would think you were running as like vice president of the United States the way they go after you regularly these days. It's been kind of unhinged. I mean, it, you, you being the person that they keep attacking, I mean, what's it like to go through this nonsense? Well, you know, I, it's funny because, I, you know, obviously I don't watch MSNBC. I probably need to tune in because I'd probably get a good laugh out of it. Watching oh, Tuesday it. night, seriously. Watch them Tuesday night. It'll be glorious. Well, good, good. Yeah, they they have, uh, you know, they've painted me as something that you 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 know, and I know that I'm obviously not. And people who have served with me in the legislature, no, I'm I am not the person that they they're trying to portray. But uh, you know, that's that's the good liberal media for you. They uh, they they want to run with a narrative, and they don't care. They don't care. They don't let the truth get in the way of anything. Right. So. Well, it, it, now, one of the truths today is that Kwanzaa Hall, who is a, a lieutenant gubernatorial candidate for the Democrats in Georgia on the Atlanta City Council, decided to endorse uh, Governor Kemp and you today. Nobody saw that yeah. coming. And I can tell you, I've had text messages from Democratic friends of mine in the state uh, just sending me pictures of burned toast. <laughs> well, you know, I was I was happy to have the, the his endorsement. Uh, you know, I've. Uh, he's a perfect example of, uh, you know, I've had uh, 10 years in the legislature. I've been in the state Senate and, uh, there's, there's been plenty of times when I have, uh, uh, you know, worked across the aisles and, and gotten legislation done, uh, uh with, uh, alongside of, uh, you know, people from the opposite party and, and, uh, you know, I mean, we're not going to agree on everything, but, uh, on, on, there are some issues that, uh, I think that, 
and, and I think in all legislative bodies, including what's going on in D.C., need to find two or three th- uh, things that they can uh, accomplish for their constituency, whether it's on education, whether it's transportation or whatever it might be, uh, health care. Uh, find two or three things that you can work on uh, and, and try to stay away from the divisive uh, 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 nature that that politics has become, but I, you know, happy to have the endorsement. Uh, I think you know it's it's obvious he was a city council member, he's a congressman uh, uh, there in Atlanta, and um, and he ran for lieutenant governor and almost was the nominee for lieutenant governor. And so uh, he he saw the my opponent up close and personal, and and so I was I was happy to see that he's endorsing our candidacy and and. Uh, you know, and, uh, and proud to have his endorsements as well as many others around the state. Now, let me just talk about your, your campaign specifically, because the, unlike a lot of states, governors and lieutenant governors in Georgia are separate. I'm, be, I'm broadcasting live down here in Orlando today where the governor picks his running mate. You you each sure. run as separate constitutional offices. You obviously run and have things you want to get done in Georgia. Um, what do those things look like that you'd like to see happen in Georgia over the next few years? Well, you know, I think uh, you you look at things like on the educational fronts, K through 12 education. I think uh, I've always been a big proponent of our, uh, you know, having skills based learning uh, in our curriculum. I, I've been a big fan of our college and career academies, which I, uh, in in the you were talking about those counties you mentioned, eight out of the nine counties that I represented in the in the Senate all have college and career academies, which are uh, which is a fancy word for basically shop class, but but all those those college and career candidates partner with local businesses and they create their curriculum, uh, you know, to fit uh, the geographic area they're in. And, and a lot of them have been, all of them have been very successful. And, and uh, a lot of kids who graduated from high school and, and go through those, those uh, training programs uh, have jobs when they, when they come out, they're not college bound. And uh, I think we need to have a big emphasis on uh on teaching, you know, teaching our, our kids not just the the basics of reading, writing, arithmetic, but we also need to teach them some skill sets so those who aren't going to go to college uh, uh, can can do other things. And there's a lot of opportunities out here right now, uh, Eric, as you well know, uh, you know, with Georgia's economy growing like it is, the one thing uh, that every business has in common is uh, is we do not have a, 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 a labor force who can keep up with mm-hmm. it and uh, a skilled labor force in particular. And so I'm going to be a big proponent of that. Obviously, being from a rural community, we've got to continue to work on having access to rural health care. Uh, once again, in my district, we, you know, uh, the Democrats want to talk about all the, 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 the hospitals that have closed in the state. Well, we've built two new hospitals in, uh, in the middle uh, in rural counties, in Greene County and, and Morgan County, and working on a third one. Uh, so it can be done in rural in rural parts of the state, uh, but you know you got to have the right plan in place, got to have the right people involved. And so, yeah, I'd like to see see us work on those things. And then, of course, law and order is going to be uh, the big issue that's this this across the country right now. But uh, we've got we've got to do more for our, our men and women law enforcement. We've got to do hold DAs accountable that don't want to prosecute. Uh, criminals and uh, and so those are a few things I would like to see uh, you know us accomplish uh, uh, you know once mm-hmm. if we're fortunate enough to uh, to win on Tuesday. 
so if you're fortunate enough to win, by the way, I've already voted for you. I want you to know that. Um, so, um, <laughs> well, thank you, Eric. There's one. <laughs> okay, so you, you got two in the Erickson household. We'll, we'll get you a few more million here by Tuesday. Um, across the nation, I'm, I'm talking to Bert Jones, who's going to he is. I'm just going to say, going to be the lieutenant governor of Georgia next year. I before you go, I want to spend one more second with you on something that I, I actually care about greatly. You just kind of touched on it. I'm in Florida, you're in Georgia, nationwide, so much attention gets focused on urban areas in this country, and rural areas have healthcare crises, lack of access to hospitals, uh, they actually deal with diesel and gas prices more than people who live where there's public transportation in cities. Oftentimes, the schools are not as good. The jobs are not as plentiful, which encourages younger generations to back up and move to cities, even just for access to high-speed Internet. I mean, where do you see Georgia headed in the future, and and what can we do to set an example for the nation in how to make life in rural America for people who've made a conscious decision to live there actually be a good life? Well, I'm I'm glad you asked that because, as you well know, in in rural parts of the state, they're great places to live and work and raise a family, uh, you know, if you have all the appropriate tools. Something we did with uh, rural broadband uh, that we have implemented, I'm proud to say that uh, my co-op, my ENC co-op, Central Georgia ENC, was the first co-op to roll out the uh, broadband internet. I actually have uh, fiber uh, broadband internet now, uh, Eric, nice. you know, but with them doing that, and I live out here in, in rural part of Georgia where I, we didn't have it for a long time. Uh, we our, our co-op has rolled it out, uh, first one in the state, and uh, and I think when you, and obviously uh, that is a connectivity, it's like, it's like roads and bridges, it's just as important now uh, as far as in the in the new age of of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of how the workforce is, is going to now, and uh, that connectivity is important. Uh, I think as we continue to build that out, I think you're going to see more and more people uh, move to smaller communities because now they'll be able to, you know, be able to, you know, access uh, work from home or be able to do uh, schooling from home and things of that nature. And uh, and I think that's a that's a a big plus that has happened, and we want to continue to improve on that. That's something I push for. A colleague of mine, Susan Holmes, who I know you know very well mm-hmm. from Monticello, really pushed for it, uh, and uh, and we finally got it done this past year. And you're 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 seeing the you're reaping the reward of uh, of that hard work that's been done. But there's still a lot of areas of the state that that uh, that don't have it, and we're going to continue to work with the providers to make sure that uh, that access is there because it is essential education is essential for work it's essential for health care you know and it's uh and it's something that i think uh i think we'll be the 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 leading uh state uh when you know when when other states are looking at how to do it i, I bet they'll look to georgia on how we got it done well, listen, I appreciate you stopping by. As I said, you've already got two votes out of my house. So congratulations to you for those and congratulations for what's coming. Well, I appreciate that. Always love listening to your show. I'm a uh, regular listener. You're doing a great job. Proud of you. And uh, I appreciate you having me on today and, and enjoy Orlando. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. This is State Senator uh, Burt Jones from Georgia, who will be the Lieutenant Governor for the state of Georgia uh, next week. I, I don't think there's any question that he's not going to be. Yeah, you do have to go vote. Now, I want to I want to focus on this issue again, because this is something that I, I actually do find Republicans need some good answers on. We're small. We're believers in small government. We are believers that the government that governs closest to us is the best. We've got to figure out how to make rural America attractive to people to get people not to have to feel like they have to move into a city. You get people to move into cities, they tend to move to the left because the left is the dominant political machine. The Republicans have put up an interesting graph on Twitter today. Uh, the 30 cities in America that have the most violent crime, two of them are run by Republicans. The other 28 of them are Democratic strongholds. And that's part of the problem that we're dealing with uh, when you deal with access to rural health care. So I'm actually from rural Louisiana, grew up in Dubai, but I'm from very rural Louisiana. Uh, East Feliciana Parish, one of the poorest parishes in the state of Louisiana. We have parishes, not counties. Uh, almost all the industry was state run. It, when Bobby Jindal, the governor of Louisiana, ran a second time, he lost the parish because so many people had lost their jobs in state institutions. He had started privatizing things, and people were furious with him. And the private entities wound down some jobs. They were overstaffed, overburdened. They were overburdening state government. It was necessary, though, in that state to be able to do. The problem was people had become dependent to state work in rural Louisiana. That was their answer. We can't make everyone in rural parts of this country dependent on the government for their existence. And I think Republicans can probably improve the situation, particularly on the fossil fuel issue, because the farmer is the one most affected by diesel in this country right now. The person who lives in the country and commutes to the city is the person most affected by gas prices right now. And the Democratic answer to that issue is, well, you should move to the city. I don't know about y'all, but living out in the country where I can see the stars at night actually is a quality of life issue. I have a big telescope, a really big telescope. It actually weighs a ton and I carry it out at night and I attach my camera to it. And I live just on the outskirts of a city, but it's dark enough at night. I get really cool pictures. I got a great one of Jupiter a couple of weeks ago and it was as close as ever to, or as close as it can be to the, the earth for the next 30 years or so. Got one of Jupiter and the planets lined up. There's something about living in an area like that where you can see the stars at night. I have friends who come to visit who live in like New York and stuff and I'll take them out to rural Georgia. We'll go to a little barbecue joint at night. They'll look up and see the stars at night and something they don't see in New York City. There's something to say for living in a rural part of the country. But when you have no internet, you have no access to health care, gas prices are so high, uh, there aren't jobs, plentiful jobs. Yes, it's a choice you've made to do that and to commute, but also it's like many politicians decided to abandon rural parts of the country because that's not where the voters are. There are actually plenty of voters in rural America, and their view and their worldview is not necessarily that of people in, in the cities. And i got to tell you, as someone who, who's been to seminary as well, there's a theology of cities in the Bible that's not good. Uh, we should have the backs of people who live in rural America, and we should be looking at policies to improve lives there from schooling and access to jobs where people don't have to commute to cities. We're losing parts of rural America, and we're going to regret it eventually, but there is an interesting trend line of a number of people moving back to rural parts of the country after they've made their careers 
in the big city, they move back and they retire to the farm. And they're revitalizing these areas, and I think that's good. And unless they like decide to go out there and try to make them all hipstery and suddenly do the, the well, you can't have chickens on your farm anymore because they keep me up. In a city, I get it. But if you're in the wilderness, you should have to smell the cow farts at night. It's just the nature of the beast. Now, there is a group out there that's working to help bring conservatives back that serves rural markets, that is Patriot Mobile. They're a great cell phone provider. You can take your business to Patriot Mobile, and in addition to moving your cell phone service to them, what you also get is a company that actually takes a portion of their profits and supports the conservative movement. So, for example, they've decided to get involved in school board races around the country. That's kind of where they're making their money, and they're getting attacked by the left because they're finding conservatives on school boards or running for school boards and they're funding their campaigns against the wokes who are on the school board. They tried it in 11 races in Texas, and they won all 11 races. They replaced wokes with conservatives on school boards across Texas, and it's really worked for them so much so that left-wing publications are attacking them. If you want to be a part of their mission, all you got to do is move your cell phone service to them. You go to patriotmobile.com slash eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. They have the same cell towers everybody else uses. You get guaranteed great service. They have 100% U.S.-based customers service you can call them at 972 patriot they fund veteran causes first responder causes second amendment causes pro-life causes conservative candidates for office that's where they put their profits and they get their profits by you doing business with them it's patriotmobile.com slash eric you can also call them 972 patriot tell them i sent you you get free activation if you doubt their coverage go to patriotmobile.com slash eric they have detailed maps down to your house you can see 5g data voice all of that patriotmobile.com slash Eric. This other program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan, wherever you are nationwide. Banks are telling you no. They can tell you yes. They make their own lending decisions. Want to grow your business? Reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you. Now, I need to tell you guys who have Teslas, you have a problem. Those of you who wish to buy a battery-powered car, you have a problem. This is actually one of the funniest stories I have seen in a while. I have to credit Philip. By the way, I know Philip's listening because he's texting me right now. Uh, one, one of the ad sales guys here has a Tennessee football helmet and is a Tennessee football fan and wishes you, not Charlie, were here. Uh, the other thing that I have to point out and say is that he's not even going to watch the game. I mean, you've got Tennessee is now number one for the college football playoffs. Georgia's still number one team. Yes, they're going to play this weekend, and he's not even going to watch the game because he's afraid that Tennessee might lose. They're going to lose anyway. But um, it's just it's 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 a remarkable turn of events after all of these years of watching his team suck. Uh, they're now like about to play the undefeated team, and people are thinking they got a shot, and he's not going to watch because it's his anniversary weekend, and he loves his wife and. Ah, uh, you know, you'll have an anniversary next year, too. You may not have this guy. That's all I'm saying. But he found this story. For, the, for those of you who wish to buy a battery-powered car, you have a problem. There's a supply shortage. Why? Because young men in Kulanginka, Zambia, are in a 30-mile traffic jam with the copper needed for your battery-powered cars. That's right. Uh, young men weave through the 30-mile queue, pushing crudely built bicycles stacked with soft drink snacks, charcoal. At night, Kolongika sleeps in the cabins, and there's a 30-mile backup 
uh, traffic jam that stretches across Zambia. They can't actually get the copper out of Zambia into Congo to get on ships to refine it anywhere. Traffic has not moved in three weeks. And now people have run out of gas. Well, there's no electricity out there, so they couldn't use battery-powered cars either, so you're out of luck anyway. Literally, massive 30-mile traffic jam of people hauling the copper to the refineries to build your battery-powered cars. God himself has a sense of humor, and right now he's laughing at all of us. I gave you dinosaurs and converted them to oil, and this is what you want?